0: It's Thursday, which means Deering Live, and we are super, super excited to be here. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Don't know what cool. that is. <laughs> there we go. We're going sure to say that's Trey's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Trey's making noise in the background. All right. <laughs> Thanks for joining Now, before we get started the uh, this afternoon, um, a quick reminder to everybody, if you go to Deeringbanjos.com right now, at the bottom of every page, there is a big orange banner, Um, And we are honoring and saluting uh, those veterans who served with the Veterans Day Sale for you guys to take advantage of. Please jump in, take a look. Uh, It goes from yesterday all the way through Monday. So that will be there for all of your uh, banjo and accessory buying needs. Take a look. Now, um, this week we are joined by the banjo phenom, I'm going to call him. This is Trey Wellington, <laughs> Trey, how you doing?
1: Pretty good. How are you? Um, I don't know "phenom" is the right word. I'll, uh, I'm going to use it. Thank you. I like that. <laughs> I'm going to use that. Builds my it builds my self confidence.
0: <laughs> that's, that's what we're here for. That's part of the game. Um, thanks for joining us. Now, uh, for those of you that don't know Trey, uh, he is a young man who is already uh, winning many awards, including the 2019 uh, Momentum Award for Instrumentalist of the Year. Um, and we'll get into that in a little bit But uh, do, you've been a deering artist for a long time We're, we're yep. thrilled to have you here um, And we want to get uh, started off with with a little bit of playing
1: If you can take it away and show us what you got, my friend Yeah, I'll, um, I'll play a tune off my um, It was my first um, solo EP called um, Uncaged Thoughts And the tune is um it's called Gibbous Moon So I'll start out with that one Cool <laughs> Is <laughs> it?
2: Was great, Trey. Thank you. So, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll kind of you often I like, uh, kind of talk to people, start off the interview about kind of your background, but since you started with that tune, Gibbon's Moon, and which is off your new uh, EP, why don't we talk a little bit about that recording? And uh, yeah.
1: so, uh, just to, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, that recording was a lot of fun to make. Um, I recorded it with um, banjo player Scott Vestal. Um, who's a banjo legend and one of my yeah. favorite banjo players and a hero? And so that was really awesome. He co produced it. So I was the um, other co producer. So that was really fun to kind of put our brains together on some of these arrangements and stuff, especially.
2: How'd you get hooked up with Scott? Have you known him for a long time?
1: Yeah, I met Scott at Merle Fest a few years ago, and um, I'm from like um, Ashe County, North Carolina, which is about an hour from where the Merle Fest festival is held. So I would, I'm always there. So um, yeah, so I met Scott a few years ago there, and then um, this most recent Merle Fest that happened in person, um, I got to meet up with, with Scott, and he started. I was telling him about wanting to make a record, and he was like, "Well." Um, if you ever want to do it, just let me know. Um, you can come to my studio and we'll work something out. And so I got to go out there and we recorded um, this EP and it was so fun. Um, it was um, Thomas Castle on mandolin, um, Will Castle on guitar, uh, Patrick McVinney on fiddle, and my friend Johnny Calamari on bass, and I played the banjo.
2: So you knew all the all the sidemen you knew before. You played with Thomas Castle and King and, uh, Cameo or other bands, right? Did yeah, you? I've um,
1: yeah I've filled in for Thomas's band some, and then um, yeah, everybody from I'm I live in Johnson City, Tennessee, right now, and um, everybody's from around here. So I got to um, most of them are from around here. The only person I'd never played with before was Patrick, but I love this fiddle playing so much that
2: very cool I wanted to get them on there. So how'd you get? That tune, uh, Gibbous Moon. Um, that's that's the that track really stuck out to me. I really liked it. when yeah. listening to your, to your recording, and it had a different. It has a different sound than, you know, um, the other tracks. You know, you've had yeah. you've got more kind of bluegrass, newgrass sort of things, and then yeah. like you have that Charlie Parker tune. Um, um, but this definitely has a different sound. Was there a different recording technique to get that sort of more? mellow sort of fatter sound
1: Uh, well kind of what we did well when I was writing that song um, you know I was thinking I was like what can I do like I wanted something because I was really into that kind of stuff like the kind of bossa nova feel stuff and I was really into that Um, and I was in a jazz combo at the time I wrote that tune so I was getting to play a lot of that stuff so I was like I want to write something I was also listening to David Grisman a lot Uh and there was a song um, he wrote called 16 by 16 right. Um, and it's an E flat and I worked it out on banjo and open E flat and I was like well I'm gonna write a tune that is kind of in the E flat feel because there's I found so many cool ideas to do there so Mm -hmm. I was just like kind of I found this chord which Is the beginning of Give Us Moon? And I was like, that's such a pretty chord, I'm gonna write something around that. And what
2: are you doing uh, there? Because we can't see your left hand. What yeah, are you doing? Yeah, so
1: what I'm doing there is it's um, the um, first fret on the um, fourth string, the third fret on the third string, and the first fret on the second string. And kind of what I'm doing there is I'm just kind of it's like just a kind of just straight through the strings pattern, it's just kind of skipping the strings, and um. I'm just kind of getting in that that vibe of the, the kind of bossing feel. Right. The yeah,
2: but it's, it's so it's like an e, e flat major seven that you're doing.
1: There? Yeah, it's like an E flat. Yeah, I guess it's like an E flat um, sus. I like get I guess sus chord. Okay, is what I'd call it. E flat six, maybe.
2: Okay. And and uh, how'd you go about that? What was the thought? How'd you kind of get the whole thing together? Because
1: yeah, you know, it was one banjo, of those. It's tunes. nice to
2: kind of fiddle. That uh, you know, you can come up with little things. But yeah, it's kind of hard to get it all sealed up as a tune, if it's
1: yeah. Well, working through a lot of this opening flat stuff, you know, I was really like learning all these different positions, and you know, just messing around. Literally, this was one that took me 15 minutes to write. Hmm. The whole it didn't thing. Make, yeah, the whole thing. Well, not the whole thing. There was like the little interlude part I worked on afterwards. Because um, I thought I just wanted something a little extra But the whole main melody part, though um, It came to me in, you know, 15 minutes
2: And did you How'd you remember it the next day? Did you Did you just remember it? Or did you use a voice yeah, recorder on your Yeah, it was one on of those things that just stuck
1: out to me You know, um, it was so funny When I was um, writing this I was like, oh, this is going to be my real Kind of my tune on the album That nobody's really going to want to listen to Because it's so simple <laughs> You know, and it ends up being the best tune on the album.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of rich harmony in there. So, you know, it's intriguing that way.
1: Yeah, you know, it's like one of those things. um, I didn't realize how nice I was going to, or how much I was going to personally like it Mm -hmm. um, until after I recorded it. And then when I recorded it with a band behind me, I was like, oh, I really love this sound.
2: And how do you... When you bring original material to your bandmates, like how, um, how are you showing them the material? Are you writing out chord changes or are you just showing them the melody? Are you writing it out or?
1: It really depends. Um, you know, this song is one of those ones that's not really like melody based on the solo part of it. It's just kind of like play with you, like something, obviously something that fits over the chord changes, but just kind of play what you want to, that fits that groove. And, um, yeah, but when I'm bringing tunes, typically I just kind of like write them out and think about like like what I want. And I really spend a lot of time thinking about chord changes because you know, you don't have to use like the such simple chords that you think you would use. Mm-hmm. You can always um, use like different versions or. And a lot of the time I do that on guitar. I'll just sit back and um, figure out the chords to my song. Mm
2: hmm. Mm hmm. And, and and then well even before we move on what is I looked it up I didn't know what is a gibbous moon
1: (laughs) yeah so um I was actually at a show in Todd North Carolina um when I used to play the band called Cane Mill Road yeah and um you know I was trying to you know I wrote this tune and I was like I need a name for this and you know we played it that night um kind of like a basic arrangement of it and um You know, I just asked the audience, I was like, what would y'all name this tune? All right. And, you know, three or four people afterwards came up to me and gave me these different names. I wrote them all down. And one lady said, "Um, give a smooth. And I was like, that's the one. I knew as soon as I heard it, I was like, that's (laughs) going to be the one.
2: (laughs) It just stuck. It worked. (laughs) And... uh, how many of the other tracks on that recording are original tunes?
1: Yeah, there's three other ones that are original. There's "Move Over," which is an original tune. Um, there's "Hartford's Lawn," that's an original tune, and there's um, "Let's Take a Leap," which is an original.
2: Yeah, that Hartford's Lawn. It, it's you did a great job of really capturing John Hartford's sound. I mean, you started yeah. it with that kind of quote, you know, from General yeah. Line, but and uh, but it it, it just. You know, without the name, it sounded, you know, it sounded like, you know, John Hartford sort of. Yeah,
1: at the time I was writing that, you know, and the time I made the CD, I'm still doing this, but I was listening to a ton of John Hartford at that time. Uh Like, you know, it was like every other song was John Hartford. And um, it seemed like, and, you know, I was like, I'm going to make, I just want to write something in tribute to him. If I was going to record something, I was like, you know, I don't want to just record something that John already recorded because, you know, John, one thing about John, a lot so many people forget, and this, so many people forget this about so many other great musical artists is they're the thing they want to do is be themselves. And that's what John was wanting to be. But I wanted something that was going to, you know, be myself, but also pay tribute to John.
2: That's great. That's really great. You did a great job. Thank you. What are some, what's something, because almost every, every, uh, you know, five string, three finger style player that we've had on the show has, has met, brought up John Hartford in some. Parts. Mm-hmm. So what would you say? What would you say? Is the th- something about his his you know him that really stands out to you and speaks to you? And you, yeah.
1: yeah, it's so it's so different. His arranging techniques, his playing is so just like you know, it's so outside the box than anybody else. You know, it's some of the hardest banjo playing. Um, john hartford's is even though it doesn't sound it's like note wise it's not but you look at his timing mm-hmm. his like phrasing the things it's just so crazy and inventive that it it's just such a different style
2: yeah he's, he's, he's not just using kind of cliche licks and Yeah, you know
1: there's there's videos of him playing with glenn campbell Mm-hmm. Back on like um, just on the Glenn Campbell show, and you know I was watching the videos, and it's so much of a difference versus when he does his own stuff. You know, with Glenn Campbell, he's pretty straight ahead. You know, playing some of his um kind of you can, you can hear where he's like getting to his style a little bit, but it's not as like defined. But then when you hear his recordings, it's just like so many different avenues right. that he pulls from musically.
2: Do you want to play some of that that tune for us so everybody can hear it and?
1: Yeah, let me. Um, I got this banjo. Um, it's the Julia Bell banjo. All right. I actually picked this up from um, Nashville. Um, Jamie, De- Jamie Deering, um, let me go get this and such a great banjo and you know if anybody's looking for a low tune banjo this is the one I would recommend it has such a nice sound to it you have a tune down to open E but um, yeah here's here's the tune I wrote called um, Hartford's On."
2: So so let's let's back up and and kind of talk about you know how you, you, you this all came to be you being a banjo player. So what what first got you interested in the banjo?
1: Yeah, so um, when I first started playing banjo, I was originally playing electric guitar at first, and um, how old I were you? I played trim, huh? How old were you? I was um, thirteen when I okay. first started playing electric guitar, and. Um, I had played trombone from the time I was about 12 um, until I was, like, about 13 or 14. I played trombone a little bit in my school's band. And, um, you know, I was first learning electric guitar, like I said, and I'd heard banjo a little bit Um, in my grandpa. My grandpa had a huge CD collection, so I'd go and hang out with him, like, all the time on weekends and during the summer a lot of the time when I was little. And so I would always hear this, um, like, this, like, Country music and rock and roll music that had some of it had banjo. And then, you know, of course, with the electric guitar, that was a huge influence on me playing that too. And then, you know, I was wanting to, I heard a Doc Watson song. Uh, okay. My grandpa had, he had these cassettes and he had a Doc Watson song in there. And I heard Doc Watson flat picking guitar and I was like, I want to do that. And then I, so I joined the Mountain Music Club at my middle school and, you know, they, we're just teaching his chords you know and I was learning to flat pick a little bit um, just some basic stuff like some scales and stuff but then um, the teacher there Josh Church about the third week of class he pulled out a banjo <laughs> and he started playing the song Salt Creek I remember mm. it and um, it was on a Gibson RB4 banjo and you know it was just such a rich sound and I was like that is so cool and it was the first time I'd heard banjo in person so I was like that's what I want to do right Right. Well, the first time I'd heard banjo, I remember actually in third grade, I'd heard a claw hammer style mm-hmm. banjo player. Looking back on it, because we had music class and the, the music teacher would sometimes like she had a little banjo and she would play like claw hammer style. How'd but that it never on? caught my attention. But when I heard that three finger style, I was like, that's what I want to do. You like that. All right. Yeah. I just like the sound of it. It was just it stuck out to me. And how much longer was it till you got a banjo to play? I got a banjo probably three months after that. I think that day I went home and I said, I want a banjo. <laughs> I told my mom. It might have been three or four months, but right, um, right. we eventually got a banjo. I can't remember if it was Christmas. I can't remember when I got it, but it was like no, three or four months after that. Right. But um, I remember it was my second semester of my eighth grade year, and st- I started playing at the very end of that is when right. I really got into it and just like um, started running rolls and stuff and chords. And-
2: and did you learn from books or videos online or did you have a Well, te- first,
1: you know, the teacher in that class, Josh Church, he had a little sheet of just rolls that he gave me. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, like go through and learn all these rolls. And, you know, I was, I did that. And then he said, when you have all these rolls down, call this guy who was my teacher all right. and he'll give you lessons. His name was Eric Harden. And so I called Eric probably, you know, about a month in the summer when I really felt I had everything down. And I was like, Hey, Josh told me I could have lessons with you. And he was like, yeah. And then so I had scheduled my first lesson. And um, Eric taught me a lot of stuff about banjo. So he started showing me songs and whatnot.
2: Right. How long did you stick with him as a teacher? That?
1: Um, I was with him probably three or four years, probably. Oh. I had him as a teacher. So I had him for quite a long time. And at the same time, so I got into high school. Um, there was another guy named Steve Lewis, who's a great banjo player from my area, too. Um, they're actually both Winfield National Banjo Champions.
2: Oh, wow. wow. Yeah,
1: so I was lucky to have both them and um, Steve. I had him in high school, so I was getting to learn from both Steve and Eric simultaneously in high school, which was great. <laughs> You're pretty lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was very like, you know, they were showing me so much cool stuff and like um, good stroke style stuff and some cool melodic stuff at the time.
2: And this I... Um how did you, how did you get your, you know, your, your three finger, like straight, straight ahead, scrug style really solid, like rhythmically had that roll Cause it's, you know, that's, that's really a yeah. trick of it is to really have that timing, just rock solid.
1: Yeah. You know, when I was first starting at first, that was all I was wanting to do. I was wanting to just do scrug style banjo, uh-huh. you know, and that's all I was practicing. And, um, First time I met Scott Vestal was about three years into no, it's probably about two and a half years into my playing at uh-huh. Merlefest. Fest, and um, well, it might even been earlier than that. It might have been like I don't, I can't remember a year and a half. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But um, I heard him play um, Brown Mountain Lights, okay, which was a um, tune by Tony Rice, and I, uh, um, well, it's not by Tony Rice, but that's the version we were playing, and he took this open solo, and I was like. That's so cool. And it was melodic style banjo. Mm -hmm. So for a while there, after hearing Scott, you know, I was like, I want to learn all this melodic stuff. And so I was wearing a bunch of Courtney Johnson, Bill Keith stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of just stopped playing stroke style. And then, you know, starting to go out to jams and stuff, I realized, dang, I really need to buckle down on this stuff.
3: Right. Because
1: I was like, I'm, I'm getting out of time. I'm playing stuff where it doesn't fit. So I was like, let's really buckle down. So I, I went right back to learning a lot of bluegrass stuff and this Scruggs style stuff. And um, the main thing I did, you know, I started working with a metronome a lot. Okay. Which was a big help. And I also just started playing along with my favorite recordings, like learning these. Um, I was trying to find the most traditional bands, you know, learning a lot of Earl Scruggs, Don Reno, J.D. Crow stuff. Uh-huh. And um, I got to J D. Crow a little bit later, but really, definitely Earl and Don Reno and Ralph wow. Stanley too. I was really getting into all that.
2: And you play, so you play with them, you know, play the recording and play with. A
1: lot. Yeah, I played with the recording. I'd like figure out whatever tuning they were in, and I'd just um try and emulate what I heard on mm-hmm. some of the stuff. Um, I, I was really into the Don Reno a lot. I really listened to a lot of his stuff.
2: Okay, and that's probably because you you play a lot of single string now. Did that that that's probably came from. The, being a fan a li- yeah, a lot of it
1: came from Don Reno. Um well, as far as getting into it, Don Reno is definitely he's a good if anybody wants to learn single string playing, Don Reno is a the best foundation yeah. that I have found to really get into, you know, if you if e- like easier single string than like Baylor Fleck and Sure, you know, Ryan Kavanaugh that stuff.
2: Can you kind of explain or demonstrate for our, our, our viewers kind of the difference between like what Reno, what's, you know, single string style Don Reno is versus like a, how Scruggs would do a, a tune if they're playing yeah. the same. So, um, yeah, so I'll let me
1: grab my other banjo here. Sure. yeah. Just because it's tuned a little bit differently. Trey, um, you
0: might so. need to pull your, uh, your screen down just to touch it or your camera. Okay. You angle that yeah, down? yeah, I can do that. Can y'all see yeah, me?
1: Go. And there we go.
2: Perfect.
1: So, yeah. So, actually, I'll explain with this tune by Don Reno um, called Follow the Leader. Okay. Because, you know, you can play this in Scruggs style and you can play it single string. So, this is a tune that a lot of people use to show this. So, um, here would be how, like, a pretty Scruggsy approach to that song. So, Approach to it. Now, here's like a Don Reno approach to it. So, Don played this break on this song he did. <laughs> what Don played to that so yeah. it's very you know it's um the thing about Don's playing that's so unique is it's such a you know it's um almost like a formula you have he played out of shapes a lot uh huh and he was a great guitar player too and I think that's where he got a lot of this was he was playing out of these like you know, right there you're just outlining if you can see my left hand you're just outlining a G chord which is yep. staying in that box there yep. F, when it gets to F so really, all it is is just outlining these, um, these chord shapes, chord kind shapes. of. Yeah. yeah, a lot yeah. of the stuff is too.
2: Right. Okay. And yeah, everybody I think can hear the you know the the clear difference between you know the Scruggs straight roll and kind of you know dropping elements of the melody in there versus you know playing literal you know note for note melodies like that too. Yeah. And then you mentioned we talked to mention melodic style. Yeah, what can you demonstrate something in melodic
1: style? Yeah, so um, here's a tune um, called Red Apple Rag. That's a good fiddle tune, uh-huh. and um, it's a pretty melodic song. Um, not a lot of people play it, but it's a pretty. It uses a lot of melodic style stuff. So. Like the demotic it's kind of like your cascade. I, I, I would think of it as cascading mm-hmm. through a scale and like these mel- met um melodies
2: right right as it's, it's much more it's much more f- Fluid sounding, and then the Reno style, where the Reno style can be a little bit, you know.
1: Yeah, see Reno style, it's very, um, which you know, people like Bevela Fleck and Reno did fiddle tunes in his style and the single string style a lot of the mm-hmm. time, and it was um pretty smooth. But like people like Bevela Fleck and Ryan Cavanaugh, and Tony Trishka and Scott Vestal have all come along and kind of played these, figured out how to play these melodies right. in single string styles where they're very smooth and. Right. kind of very like it sounds just like melodic you can hear the difference but it's like very smooth and just like melodic runs
2: what do you think something is that those players you mentioned did to kind of smooth out that that, that thing that happened more in that earlier style of playing single string to really blend be able to you know make it hard yeah. to notice if you're playing melodic or single string
1: yeah I'm not really see I'm not really sure I don't want to say anybody necessarily kind of started out I don't know I know the two people that really got into that were Tony Trishka and Bela Fleck who were getting into this and um, I've heard Bela talk about it a lot and Tony talk about it a lot where especially Bela he kind of will arch almost like a jazz guitar player would Mm -hmm. on the fingerboard and like play little lines like that Uh And he'll kind of, like, arch it like that. And um, I think that's part of it. I think another part of it was instead of staying in these boxes that you have, Uh you know, getting into moving outside those boxes and just learning the neck really well.
2: Playing a little more laterally.
1: Yeah, playing, yeah, exactly, exactly. Right
2: right up and down in a box. Yeah,
1: not just staying in one position here, but, like, playing all these different lines up and down, like... Like, single, like a scale like that, you know, of the scales like that.
2: Yeah, more like a, a classical string player would. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, did you
2: um, did you have any mentors? Uh, you know, as you're developing as as a banjo player, that kind of really, other than just your teachers, were there was there anybody that you know, like Scott kind of, kind, yeah, like
1: kind of is now, but
2: did, was there anybody else along in your power? Yeah,
1: Pete, Pete Wernick was another guy that helped me out a lot. And um, I, I went to his um, camps when I was in high school. It was mm-hmm. like little jam camps he had. And, you know, he helped me so much with learning how to play with people in that sense. And, right. um, you know, there was a ton of people that helped. Uh, Kathy Fink, um, she's a Climber player primarily, but with helping me learn in high school especially helped me learn the appropriate place to put some of this stuff mm-hmm. she was really helpful in that because she had listened to a lot of it and um the list goes on you know i have got to be around Baylor some and you mm-hmm. know has always been really supportive of me playing and always giving me really great advice right right so it's like you know i'm in this community you know the good thing about you know the banjo community is somebody everybody's so helpful
2: right and approachable
1: yeah, exactly. It's like you can just go up to somebody and ask them, like, "Hey, how'd you do this?" And they'll probably, if they remember how to do it, they'll show you,
2: mm-hmm. and or they'll give you
1: advice on learning it.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's it's, it's definitely one of the nice parts is about of about the banjo community, you know. Yeah, it's uh, where in other music scenes it can be very.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. like you know, if you want to learn to, you know, sing pop vocals. You can't just reach out to, to stars. Yeah, you. you can you can't just reach out to them and wanna <laughs> right. talk to them. <laughs> right. Right, definitely.
2: And uh you you were seems like you played with people pretty early on, like right?
1: Yeah. I was um yeah, a lot of the time, especially early on, you know, I was getting to go to a lot of jam sessions in my area. Right. Which was really nice, you know, I'm um, getting to play with people. And, um, you know, these jam sessions helped me grow because, you know, sometimes people, especially when I was first start starting out, because I would run a hot lick or something, you know, and I was like this teenage banjo player that wanted to show off everything Washy I knew. Stuff, you right? know. Yeah. And so, you know, some players would come up to me afterwards and they'll be like, you know, you didn't have to do all that. <laughs> you know, it'd be like it'd be a very humbling moment, you know, like we'd be playing like I wonder where you are tonight in a jam. And. You know, I remember one instance in particular, there was a guy at a jam and he said, you know, like nude one during the song when it's not your solo is not all right. And I was like, you're right. And It's like little tips like that help you out so much in the long run. You don't even realize, at the time you are kind of hurt by them, but then in the long run you realize what they're talking about.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, you know, developing musical maturity.
1: Exactly.
2: Um, And so... If you can remember the, some of those first times you went to a jam, and you were probably n- nervous some, but what, what kind of got you, maybe not because you're, you're a teenager and thought you ruled the world, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, but, but how'd you, you know, that's a lot, of, being a teacher, a lot of people have fear of, of playing with other people and, yeah. and getting out there, but it's so important. Kind of how'd you, what would you recommend for those people to get over that hump?
1: The main thing I would say, you know, is, you know, if you're going to a jam, I wouldn't let what other people, because, you know, everybody was there at one point. And though people may say something rude to you or offhanded to you, everybody was at the same point you were at some point and maybe not even worse, maybe. Right. You know, and I wouldn't let what a few people say stop you from having fun, you know, and Another tip of advice I'd give is if you're going to a jam and everybody's being rude to you because you're not at their level, stop going to that jam, <laughs> you good. know, because you don't want to surround yourself with negative people like that who are going to put you down because that's going to stop your musical. Yeah. You know, that's how so many people get out of music or some, somebody who's rude to them and totally. they need to, that's why I always try to be nice to people I'm jamming with, you know, why. I Always nice people I'm jamming with. But Probably good <laughs> advice.
2: Just in general, just to be nice yeah, to people. just, just to be nice to <laughs> people exactly,
1: and it'd be a lot easier world.
2: Exactly, exactly. What have you been listening to as of late? Do you listen? You uh, still, I figure you're listening to a lot of music because I know you're, you come from a lot of different styles.
1: Yeah, I was. Um, I've been listening to a lot of new stuff. I've been listening to a lot of um, kind of like R and B soul music lately. Uh, yeah, and. Um, uh, Artist I've been really getting into is um, Corey Henry. Oh yeah. yeah, and he's got like so much cool stuff, and I've been really getting into a lot of that stuff, and um, listen to a lot of his keyboard lines are really inspiring me to write a new a lot of new stuff. Mm-hmm. Listen to um, yeah a lot of that, and I'm actually going back and listening to a lot of um, like some of the stuff like Norman Blake, yeah, and um, that stuff and Tony Rice stuff. I've been going back and listening to a lot of it. It's kind of just a whole sphere, you know. And I'm listening to some of the like, um, I'm still listening to John Hartford, and I'm to a lot of jazz music recently. I've been on a Dizzy um, Gillespie kick lately. <laughs> Listen to all that stuff.
2: How do you bring some of the stuff that's non-traditional banjo, uh, you know, music, or doesn't, or even if it is, you know, if it's bluegrass and it doesn't have a banjo on it or something. Um, how do you bring that back into your playing without, you know, it might be, it might be.
1: Yeah. It's kind of good. You know, a lot of time it's good to remember the feel yeah. of what you're playing. You know, it's like when i if I, if I were to play along, um, like I've been playing along with some of Corey Henry stuff here lately mm-hmm. and, you know, just like learning the chords and stuff and, um, you know, just kind of getting in that feel with that, sense and like figuring out these voicings that really work on that music mm-hmm. and just in general you know listen to other people's music it's always good to really think what is the feel of this song and then you know if there's not a banjo I always try to like listen to all the other instruments you know what can I take from these instruments and apply to banjo like feeling wise
3: right. right you
1: know like a lot of people you always hear banjo players playing along with um the record Tony Rice record Manzanita because right.
3: yeah. it
1: doesn't have banjo on it right. and um, you know there's so much you can learn from everything on there. You can learn, you know, listen to Sam's mandolin playing, Tony's guitar mm-hmm. playing, you know, if you're in the bluegrass world, you know, if you're listening to jazz, you know, if you wanna start putting jazz on banjo, listen to these listen to Sonny Stitt, listen to Sonny Rollins, um, John Coltrane, mm-hmm. uh, Charlie Parker, and think about how are they phrasing things. You wanna to play to where if you're especially with transcription, if you're transcribing something, you wanna to play to where when you're transcribing it you almost don't hear what they're doing anymore because you're playing the same feel as them. Right. Even though it may be a different instrument, you can get that same vibe. Right.
2: And um, yeah, the you know in your album you have that Charlie Parker tune on. You have Ornette Coleman yeah. on it. Yeah. You know, it sounds great. One thing I've I noticed with with a lot of string players when they're playing jazz, guitar players as well, you know, when they're playing is it's getting the phrasing of a Mm -hmm. horn player because a horn player naturally has to take breath. And so Mm -hmm. kind of built, they have phrasing built in kind of. um, So a lot of times string players on when they're soloing kind of, it becomes this run on sentence. Yeah, (laughs) But you did it. How would you recommend people trying to phrase in, you know, in bluegrass it's it's note, note, notes and jazz it's it's there's there's spacing. So how would you kind of recommend People that want to start, you know, playing
1: more jazz oriented music
2: with that sort of style of phrasing.
1: Yeah. Um, main thing I would say is take it phrase by phrase, listen to a couple bars of that song and like really get that under your ear. You know, I found on banjo a lot of the time, I'm really, I don't know if it's because I also play a little bit of guitar, but I'm really drawn to these three middle strings. Mm -hmm. And Tonally, you can get some sounds out of that just playing those, like, you know, know, playing these little lines. I find a lot of tonal similarities with a lot of jazz guitar and jazz um, horns. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's, and sometimes, like, you know, a lot of the time I go up to the, like, this string. I usually try to play jazz of single string too, because it just seems to flow better. Um, there's some players, you know. Pat Cloud does a lot of jazz stuff, and he does it mainly. Um, melodic and it sounds great, you right. know, but it's just taste. To ta- it's your personal taste. Yeah,
2: yeah. And um,
1: just really listening to those players, though.
2: Are you playing refer- when you're playing three finger when you're playing uh, single string in this style? Are you, are you doing just like the the two finger thing? Or are you doing the three fingers kind of? It thing? It really
1: depends on the song, you know. It depends on what try to, kind of vibe I'm trying to get. Uh-huh. And sometimes I'll catch myself, you know, I do do a lot of the three finger now, you know, if I'm playing like a fiddle tune or something,
3: mm-hmm.
1: a lot of time to get some fluidity, I'll use the three fingers. Right. Or on jazz stuff, I'm using a lot because you got to get these triplets, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and stuff like that. So getting these triplets down, you know, you almost have to do it.
2: Right, right, right. But but you play jazz guitar as well. You play you're still playing guitar, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm playing more. Um, I've been taking jazz guitar lessons with this guy named Mike Magetta. Okay. And um, just to build my chops on guitar a little bit, and also expand my repertoire on banjo because it's always good to get other people's insight on this stuff.
2: And there's probably some guitar players watching. How would you the tuning of the banjo? How do you how do you transfer some of those guitar licks or guitar chops you have over to the five-string banjo
1: yeah a lot of the time you know it's i almost will arrange things two ways i'll arrange it to where i know it's to banjo so i can think about it easily and think about like how it would line up winterly and then um i also try to then arrange it for guitar too because it's two different things and you know it's weird some songs you know you'll have enough room on your banjo neck but then you know some songs will go down to a low c or something and you gotta think well do i really want to tune on the way to C? like i've been i've gotten you know halfway through a tune and then they'll hit a low c and i've arranged it you know spent right, right. two hours working on it you know working on a you know 10 minute solo right, right and you know then i'll realize it hits like a couple low c's after that point and mm-hmm. it's like what am I supposed to do? I just spent you know, all this time arranging. So you kind of got to make some like, if you really want to get what the original person was doing, you have to kind of go back and rearrange some things. So a lot of the time I'll find myself, I'll get a whole tune worked out and then the last four bars will be, they'll hit like a low C and I'm like, now i got to rearrange the whole thing. <laughs> and so um, I go back through and I'll have to transfer it up an octave.
2: Uh, you'll bring it up an octave, or?
1: Yeah, a lot of the time, or I'll, like, sometimes I'll just jump an octave and just play that note, right? like, down here, but it just right. really depends on the tune, and if I can get away with that or not.
2: Or do you ever try um, changing, putting the tune in a different key?
1: Yeah, when I do that, though, you know, with, with jazz playing, if I'm, especially if I'm transcribing to my solo, I just feel like I lose the feel of it. Yeah, yeah, but if i'm trying to get that person's feel but you know if you're like you know i've heard of people um in classical music doing this on banjo if the notes don't work on the banjo neck like what the um a piano player a violin player would play then they would um adjust and like change the key of it
2: right right
1: and you can do that in jazz too there's no rules against that it's just like for me personally i don't try to do
2: that yeah especially if you're going through doing a transcription
1: yeah exactly if i'm doing you know if i was arranging something for to play out at a show i would do that just to make it a little original sounding
2: right yeah (laughs) and going back about listening one thing i've noticed a lot of people um don't listen the way they listen to music talking to musicians they you know I think we listen, we actively listen to music. When we yeah. listen to music, we're, you know, hearing the whole thing where majority of people, I was having this conversation with my, my family and my mother, they couldn't uh, separate the instruments. Yeah. And can you kind of talk, maybe talk about how, how you listen to music and how you hear music first, you know, and how important it is to really actively let's engage in it rather than just have it like sounds that are on in the background sort of thing.
1: Yeah. It's kind of something that just comes with time, I think, because definitely early on I couldn't distinguish a lot of the different instruments um, mm-hmm. just apart. But then as time came, you know, I started hearing like, you know, I could hear in a mi- like hear in a mix, like what is the mandolin doing? What is the banjo doing behind this person's solo or vocals? I could eventually start hearing some of that and you know it really just depends the mix is a big part of it you know like the actual mix it's not even like sometimes you just can't hear an instrument very well in a mix Mm -hmm. and then it's just like you get lost and like if you don't understand that um, part of it then that's completely understandable but like typically if the mix is good and you can hear I can I have just learned over time to hear for those instruments like the timbre of them Mm -hmm. and like cause mandolin has a, a different timbre than um Banjo. And that's why a lot of time, you know, if you're listening to a lot of bluegrass or um, bluegrass related music or acoustic music in general, instruments will try to stay out of their range. You know, if a guitar is really like doing rhythm, you know, and they're kind of really getting those bass notes on the guitar, you know, then a banjo might stay in the mid range. And, you know, if a mandolin's kind of higher and, mm-hmm. um, like, a lot of time, if the mandolin's chopping way up here, a banjo's not going to go like, you know, stuff like
2: that. Right, right. Have you messed around with with plugging your banjo in at playing at all, and playing with effects anything like that?
1: Yeah, um, yeah uh, I got a pedal. I've been getting into pedals here lately a little bit, and I've got like <laughs> one or two right now. And um, I was messing with it a little bit. I do it more on guitar, but I have been doing it. Um, I do plug my banjo in for shows. Um, I have a Fishman Rare Earth pickup on okay. this one. Um, and... You know, it's a great. It's I like it just for mobility reasons, and sometimes I'll even like mic it as I also plug it in. I'll use an actual mic and also plug it in.
2: Not a clip on mic. I I use like a mic on a stand.
1: Yeah, like a mic on a stand. Yeah, just to get like an extra kind of sound to it, make it a little bit more natural.
2: What kind of mic do you like for a live? for live performance
1: i got this sm81 i really like and this mic right here um i use this for the whole band sound but it Mm -hmm. actually works really well for a banjo mic it's an ear trumpet um delphina Uh
2: uh-huh that's a condenser Um, mic there
1: yeah condenser and it's yeah and so is the, the um SM81 is a condenser too. This is like a large diaphragm condenser versus that's a small diaphragm. Mm -hmm. And um, I really like the sound of both of them. Um, This ear trumpet, I really like it live a lot, and I use the SM81 mostly for studio. Okay. And um, but I really like it for you know just going out to a show too.
2: Yeah, yeah. And what mics did going
1: for your recording? What mics did you use? Um band. I go back and forth. I've been using I got this um ear trumpet. Um if anybody is looking for a good condenser, I would definitely go and check out Ear Trumpet Labs. Um they're in Portland, Oregon. And um but yeah I got this one probably probably three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. So it's pretty new. And mm-hmm. I've really been liking it. I sat around one day and just like recorded with it just to see what it sounds like and it was a very good banjo mic and then I used it at a show not too long a socially distant show not too long ago and it um it worked really well as well cool For do you want to
2: play too? another another tune off of your record
1: oh uh, yeah let me think of one um, do you have one in mind you'd like to hear what's uh, that
2: I forget I forget Honestly, I forget the names of some of them right now.
1: Uh, let's see. Um, What's that opening? I'll What's do this one. one? Uh, Nashville Skyline Rag. Oh, that's yeah. yeah, yeah that's that, that, Right. Oh, that was an Earl's You want to hear that? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, it's, I guess, the Bob Dylan tune originally. It's Bob Dylan tune originally, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, but then um, Earl recorded it as a banjo. Right. That's really cool. I wanted to do one Earl's Earl, Earl So I wanted to do one Earl Rex tune at least Right And so that was the one I chose Because not not many people have recorded that since then But yeah, I'll play a little bit of that one for you Sure, that'd be great
2: Very nice.
0: All right, that's awesome. How you doing, Trey? How are you doing, on time, are you, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. I've been pretty quiet in the background here, monitoring some uh, some chats and stuff, which has been awesome. kind of fun. Uh, former student of yours, Ray, says hey from New Jersey. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, Ray, yeah,
0: Raymond Barton. Yeah, yeah. he's he's, uh, he's tuning in. So Dump. says says what's going on. <laughs> um, so I had a question, If just something I picked up on having had the privilege of, of hanging with you at a couple of shows over the years, yeah. uh, is when, you, when you're playing, and this is something that I don't always notice with other players, but your eye contact with whoever's watching you is like really, really s- spot on, Yeah. and you're, you're doing it now as well. Is that something that you kind of just automatically started to do, uh, I, I or is think that something you made a conscious effort to, to, to put in? I
1: have not, mind? I have not ever, uh, people have pointed that out to me, I, I don't... <laughs> Um I don't mean to do that. I don't mean to do that. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> you know, awesome. It's some I've never um I don't know why I do it. It's just something that's subconscious. I like, I've tried to um you know, I've tried to watch myself doing it sometimes, <laughs> sure. but it's just I can't I can't um it's just something I can't stop. It's weird. I don't know. No,
0: you, you shouldn't you shouldn't try and stop and certainly not trying to ask you to do that. It, it, it's it's really it's engaging. Yeah, you know, it makes me want as a, as a listener and as a as a uh, viewer. You know, it makes me want to pay a lot more attention to what you're doing instead of just uh, most people kind of looking down, and really focused in on on what it is they're playing or doing. But your ability to kind of keep that that pace and that 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 um, complexity and of the playing, which is kind of really like straight in the eye, is great. I I appreciate it. So I imagine your audiences do uh, during shows also. So. Uh, all right. I've got a question here from Mesa. Mesa's okay. here every week and she's awesome. Um, she always brings the good questions. Um, she asks, uh, what is the main technique that you use to build a tune? Do you take it by mm. ear or do you write it down or, or is there a combination um, of, yeah. of techniques?
1: I kind of, um, that's a good question. Um, depends on what I'm doing. If I'm doing a solo, I like to write it down as I go and then um, write it down in tab or in standard notation and standard notation is something that's very new to me I'm not very good at it but it's something new to me, it's a challenge but um, I'll try to write it down and then um, afterwards kind of put everything together after I figure that out but then if I'm doing like a fiddle tune or something I'll usually just figure it out um, just go through the melody and figure it out I
0: like it, I like it. Yeah, everyone's different, right? On the way they approach different things yeah, Greg. Greg Daring's walking past; he's waving hi. Hey, Greg! <laughs> 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 no one else can see him. Um, you know, that's that's a, that's a really good um, uh, piece of advice. I hope that helps, Maisa. Um, Angelo just asked a question. Get me to read this uh, regarding tab. I've always been under the impression that, that no real musician would ever use it, and it's a hindrance to progress. Now, we've talked about this a few times on on a couple of different episodes uh, with different with different players. So it's kind of a – definitely a train of thought that, that we've heard over the years. Where do you stand on
1: TAB? It's, it's, I think it's very – help. I don't think it's a hindrance. You know, it's one of those things to me – it's you know you're not using your ear as much but it is giving you a way into looking at how somebody is putting something on an instrument like Mm -hmm. where are they putting it how are they phrasing things and i feel like tabs very helpful in getting somebody's style really good because you know there's so many different ways to do things on banjo you know if i was transcribing a tune that somebody did on banjo you know there's so like there's so many possibilities to way they could have done something and every player's different. So, you know, getting these exact transcriptions of how somebody's doing it. And usually, you know, a lot of the time it's good. I did this early on. I would transcribe stuff and have the tab on standby
3: mm-hmm.
1: and get through the whole thing, learn it how I think it is, and then go and see how the person actually fretted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a very helpful technique, you know, especially if they're exact transcriptions. Um, I'm kind of – if it's a transcription that is not verified by the person who originally recorded it, as far as positions go, I do not trust them as much. That's, that's the problem with that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's if the, it's yeah. like, you know, if it's something that they've been like, okay, like on the Earl Scruggs book, Bill Keith wrote the Earl Scruggs tab. When he had it all written out in the way he thought he went and revised it all with Earl, he was like, is this the way you would have done this back then? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's pretty accurate. There's some like – things that are not exactly right in some of these tab books, you know, in every tab book, because there's going to be a part that a musician's like, I don't remember how I played that or right. where I played it, you know, so it's kind of.
0: Yeah, I guess when you're, when you're trying to work through tab, it's like, yeah, again, trust the source. A lot of it Yeah. Now, I mean, when I was started playing music, I remember just trying to find tabs for anything I could at the beginning of the internet, you know, and so it was. <laughs> just trying the to best find tab, and none of the best accurate, tab books
1: but. i found them um, for bluegrass or for banjo are um, acutab because mm-hmm. they typically go through the actual people um that recorded them and they usually get their insight on them just to see and so those have been i've always seen those to be pretty accurate you know finding live videos of people playing things can also be a way to surpass yeah. but mm-hmm. i wouldn't say i wouldn't pay too much attention to what people say. I wouldn't get to the point all you, when you can only play is looking at tab. Always be able to play from yourself, you know, but um, I don't think it's a hindrance really if you just do it right.
0: That's a good point you raised about the video as well. I, I remember like just using a tab for most of the song, you know, Yeah. And there's that one section. I'm like, what is he doing?
1: What yeah, you yeah. And videos then you are can great. You
0: see a video and say, like, "Oh, that makes more sense now." Well, they're great
1: for technique, what they're doing there. They're great yeah. for figuring out where they're putting it on the neck and all that.
0: We live in the wonderful age of technology now. Where there's yeah, exactly. An abundance of that kind of stuff. Speaking of technology, we, uh, my my good friend and co-host here, <laughs> Mr. Bandrowski, for talking this morning, <laughs> <laughs> and he's gonna he's gonna mock me a little bit now. So, <laughs> where, where I use I use Spotify. Uh, yeah. a little bit a tiny bit i don't like it um i i'm i'm that guy who likes to own his music i like yeah. to buy it and so this morning you know i had been using spotify at work to uh to listen to your album a lot more the last few days um and it's, it's a great album by the way if i didn't say Thank so you. already but i couldn't find anywhere to download it and i want to get it on my phone or, or you know as i as i joked with bandrowski is uh you know when when Shopify when Spotify goes bankrupt, I'm going to be laughing, listening to all the music that I own. <laughs> you guys can't access it anymore. But, you know, you're a, you're a young artist. You're using Spotify as a platform to get your uh, music up there. Yeah. What are your thoughts on kind of the current state of the music industry uh, as it pertains to you're not selling albums. You can't tour. There's no merch sales. Yeah. So really, I mean, Spotify is a big you know, and similar platform Apple Music what do you think about the streaming service and the digital platform? you
1: know it's kind of it's something that is very back and forth because you have to release it these streaming services to get a lot of people to hear it because yeah. the sad fact of it is most people are not buying albums anymore and that's you know, that's something that musicians don't like to hear, but it's like the sad fact is when you go to a show, people are going to buy albums. You might sell a few online if you, like, put it out there. But, um, you know, Kickstarter campaigns do are doing really well nowadays for pre-orders albums. But, you know, I'll talk to some musicians who I'll be like, how many CDs have you been selling? They'll be like, well, only sold my Kickstarter campaign once and a few at shows. Yeah. And, you know, with it, you know, a lot of people don't think about this – When you're, you know, if you're one of these people out here getting 25 million listens on your Spotify song, you know, in the hundreds of millions, billions even, you know, you're making pretty good from Spotify. Sure. yeah, You know, because, you know, that adds up quickly. But, you know, if you're out here, most musicians are averaging, I'd say most musicians with a good following are averaging, you know, 500. On average, I would say, you know, you got some of the bands that are averaging 25. You might get a couple hundred dollars in every yeah. so often. But, um, you know, and that's great that you get any money. But I think the rate at which they're paying people are very below. But at the same time, it's like it's kind of the risk you take because it's something that needs to change. But right now, it's something that they just it's their their way of doing it right now
0: absolutely yeah it's just I, I find it very interesting you know I, I again I'm David calls me grandpa because I, I like to own I like to own my music uh, but uh, and, I, and I'm not with the, I'm not down with the kids as far as the streaming yeah. services <laughs> but, um, I, I am who I am that's that's just the way it goes hey, that's the one.
2: Uh, <laughs> David, David on the other hand is a hardcore Apple music guy um, well, I'm, like, I'm, I mean I'm as an artist you know I fully agree you know you know the way the the business part of it is 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 screwed up completely but um but as a consumer of of music you know now i have cuz i like to listen to a lot of different styles of music and different stuff um i have everything that's recorded you know all the time for yeah almost nothing basically free um it's it, you know it's great for the consumer it's terrible for the artist um yeah yeah, So, so I, you know, I, I love I love having everything right there. And then if I want to learn something, if I have a gig and I need to learn a tune, it's like, oh, I can pull up 10 different versions of this. Yeah, exactly. Right yeah. now, instantly, you know, rather than go to the record store and spend $30 more on, you know, a bunch of CDs that I'll listen yeah. to one right. time.
0: <laughs> I, I, I understand it. <laughs> I'm gonna do my thing until I can't do it anymore. I just realized that uh, recently, my, my laptop doesn't even have a CD drive on it. So yeah, I don't <laughs> even have a CD player. So that's the yeah, thing. I'm <laughs> always curious
2: about people who. <laughs> like, where do
0: I put this? There's no where to put. I... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting, uh, Trey. I was in a, I was in a meeting this morning with with Janet and Greg. And I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, and um, hopefully not make you blush too much. But yeah, I was in a, I was in a meeting this morning with them and. Uh, uh, they, they kind of asked uh, who's on Deering Live today and I said oh Trey Wellington I said, oh amazing so they were really excited and they were just they sat there for a little bit because they, they, they met you very early on um, yeah and they, they said you know that kid's gonna he's gonna go up to be one of the greats you know he's gonna be up there with the big names what do you say to that that's a pretty massive statement
1: yeah it's, it's nice hearing compliments like that I always like to it's, it's, it's a very you know I always appreciate compliments like that you know Um, they encourage me to keep striving to you know um, so many musicians get to a point and they stop wanting to do what they're doing or learn anything new and you know my goal is to keep on learning you know as long as I'm playing banjo I want to keep learning whether it turns into something full-time for me you know or not it's um, I want to keep doing it as long as I can
0: we appreciate it for sure absolutely Um, I don't have any other questions, Dave. Do you? Do you have you any final thoughts on on everything today?
2: Yeah, it's great having you, Trey. is you know, it's great hanging out and uh, and listening you play and 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 the, you know showing some different techniques you use and things. Yeah. Yeah. One th- actually, one thing I'd, I'd be interested—I've in, just thought of this
0: halfway through the thing. <coughs> We've never done this with anyone, but it'd be really cool if you had. Uh, a quick tip like one quick tip that you could share with the banjo playing community that would everyone could take away something from it like a a two minute
1: like the main thing I would say is like advice as far as that goes advice or a particular playing technique or okay I would say you know don't limit yourself to what others tell you you can do that's good advice You, you know there's so many musicians out here and I hate to People are like this to other people, but there's so many people that are um, higher level players that are very kind of, you know, most of them are very great people. But then there's some, you know, that are good players, but then they're so rude to people and they say, you can't do this. You can't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, that's something that that really needs to stop because. You know, it gets so many people discouraged, and I can see why, but I would say just don't listen to those people. Like, if you feel like you want to do something, like, if you want to learn a song and you tell somebody, yeah, I'm about to learn this song, and they say, you can't do that, you know, tell them. Be like, well, yeah, I am, or just go do it, you know? And I'd say that's the main thing I'd give any advice is don't ever let anybody shoot your ideas down when, when you're with your own playing, especially. That's great advice.
0: I think it's great advice that you could uh, probably extend far beyond playing banjo, too. That, yeah, that's, exactly. that's Yeah, that's, that's uh, just good. That's
1: good life advice. It's kind of, you know, there's always the advice that, like, don't ever let anybody tell you you can't do something. You know, that's classic. You know, probably if I looked up the most 10 cliche advice lines, that'd be in there. But, you know, in banjo playing, that's especially true. You know, we wouldn't, you know, if, people always believe that, you know, we wouldn't have Bela Fleck, we wouldn't have Jens Kruger, you know, we wouldn't have all these great banjo players that have pushed the boundaries if they listened to everybody that probably told them that they couldn't do something.
3: Mm -hmm.
0: By by his own admission, uh, you also wouldn't have a Deering banjo company because that's exactly what Greg says about when he was starting out was so many people trying to say, that's a crazy idea, what are you doing building banjos? And yeah. his his you know took on the same piece of advice as, as far as uh, just not listening to the critics and, and getting on with what you want to
1: do um, basically. So here yeah. we are, forty five years later. The people <laughs> that are the star, the people that do the best, are the people that don't listen to others. It's good. To, don't get me wrong. It's good to take advice from people, oh, yeah. but you have to pick and choose your which advice you take. Because mm-hmm. deep down, everybody knows if they need to follow that advice or not.
0: How old are you, Trey?
1: I am 21.
0: You are a wise, wise 21-year-old. <laughs> thank you. Far <laughs> wiser than I was when I was 21, I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thank you so,
1: so much for uh, for joining us today. That was really, really thank fun. Do you want to play us out some? Yeah, I'll play us out something. And before right. I do that, um, I want to say, um, go to my Yes, as much please. as we were talking about it, go to my Spotify <laughs> and listen. And if you want to order a CD, you can go to my website at Mm-hmm. And um, thank, I would always like to thank the Deer and Banjo Company. They done a lot through me for the years and gave me some great instruments to play on. And would like um, thank
0: you too. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Thank y'all. It means the world to me how, how good y'all are to me. So um, I'll play um, a song here Um I don't know. Do we have any requests anybody wants to hear? I haven't had anything formal. I I don't know if you can play um, Ornithology or not. Ornithology? I'll try to. I haven't played this um, in a while, but I was running through a little bit of these songs from my album before this. But yeah, I'll play a little bit of it. Um, If there's one that you'd rather play, go for it before you do uh, i will say
0: we are um, we're probably gonna take a couple of weeks off thanksgiving's coming up and, oh. and then next week we're uh, we're out but we've got some cool guests coming up right after thanksgiving um so stay tuned and please everybody be safe that is the most important part of
1: right now so all right mr trey all right here's um here's ornithology